We've been doing the series, The Ten. I hope you've been enjoying our series and just been looking at the Ten Commandments. And we've been, it's with a twist, we're going in reverse. And so, um, and so I love the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were given to us by God, not because God said, okay, do these things so you can make me happy. But it's, it's, it's more about God gave us these commandments can begin to live a filled, a fulfilled life today. And so, um, and they're given for our, uh, for our best interest. So praise God. Well, I was thinking about um, growing up. Has anybody got any siblings? Anybody have siblings? So we all, we all know about sibling rivalries, right? We know sibling rivalries. I, I remember, I still remember a story I wrote when I was standard one. And for those who, um, those, um, those, have you got younger people in here? That's year three. Okay. When I was standard one, year three, I remember writing the story and it's so firm in my mind and I can, I can quote that story to you today. And basically I wrote this and I wrote this cool picture of my, of my little brother holding a truck, my truck, my toy truck in the air. This is what I wrote. I wrote, uh, and I'll give you, give you context to my little brother holding my toy truck in there. I wrote, I hate my little brother. He wrecks all my toys. That's what I wrote. And he's holding this truck and I draw a picture of him smashing my toys on the ground. Anyway, that's what I wrote. And, and a few years later, I remember I was in primary school, Gene Batten Primary School. Gene Batten and, and, and Mangere, Gene JBs, that's who we were, Jelly Beans. And um, I remember I was, in, I was in the, I was doing playtime, I was hanging out with all my mates. And then my little brother comes running up to me and he's being chased by these other kids. And he comes up to me, he runs behind me and he goes, Ants, 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 those boys are trying to beat me up. And I was going, hey, 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 you ain't touching my brother. And then he goes, but he beat up my little sister. And I was going, you still ain't touching my little brother. You know, I'm going to beat him up myself. <laughs> so uh, um, sibling rivalries, sibling rivalries. We've, we've got to be careful with our anger, right? Because our anger left unchecked can grow and lead us down a road of destruction. Sometimes our, our language is full of deadly poison. We've got husband and wives. We, we say things when we get into arguments like, uh, we're like, you know, you know I, I wish I married you. <laughs> you know, I, I, I hate you. I, I never loved you. Maybe I married the wrong person. I'm not giving examples of what happens um, between me and Paul. I'm just throwing it out there. And I go, man, these guys need prayer. Like, good thing it's mega prayer day today. So often people, um, people we get angry at are the ones that are the closest to us. And here's our countdown. Number 10, do not covet. Number nine, do not testify falsely. Number eight, do not steal. Number seven, do not commit adultery. And here we go. And number six is you shall not murder. You shall not murder. Do not murder. Right? Exodus 20 verse 13. And, and there's a very thin line that's, that separates violence of feelings from violence of action. It's a very thin line that separates violence of feelings. Have you ever felt, had violent feelings towards someone before? Like, I've got really violent feelings right now. And, uh, and I'm not sure if I should, should, you know, I don't want to talk about um, things that happen between husband and wives. <laughs> but there's a thin line between uh, violence of feelings and violence of actions. What's really interesting is the law is not you shall not kill. It's not uh, do not kill. The law is you shall not murder. And there's a difference. There's a big difference. Murder is premeditated killing of an innocent person. And now when we look at the Hebrew word ratzah, ratzah applies to legal killing. And it's never used in the administration of the death penalty. Uh, within the justice system, or for the or for killing within war, it's about protecting the innocent. So that's what this word "ratsa" means. So, so we we can't you we can't say, well, I'm a pacifist, and that's why I don't go to war. We can't use this law for that because this is not what it's talking about. 
It's talking about the innocent, the innocent, or, or the death penalty. You know, we don't have the death penalty in Aotearoa, but in other countries, you go, how can? Well, that's not talking about that either. So what this is talking about, it's talking rapture. It's talking about premeditated murder of killing an innocent person. And so Genesis chapter nine verse six, it provides rationale for the pro prohibition of murder, so of taking an innocent life. So let's take a look. Ex uh, Genesis chapter nine verse six. It says this: Whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall in his blood be shed. Meaning, if, if someone kills another person, then that person should be put to death. Okay, that's what this verse is saying. And this, and then it says, this is why, this is why you should not murder another person. And this is why this person needs to be put to death if you do murder another person. For God made man in his own image. Because we're made in God's image. And this is why, this is why, because, because human life is infinitely precious because it is rooted in the image of God. It's rooted in the image of God and God's own authority. Life is from him and he alone has the authority to give it or take it away legitimately, right? Murder usurps the divine uh, prerogative and attacks God's justice. God's image is sacred. That every single person is made in the image of God, and we have not got the right to take that image and kill this image of God. It is God's image. It's sacred. And this is, and this is why the, the Ten Commandments is right in the, ten, in the middle of the Ten Commandments is this command, you shall not murder. In Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 27, it tells us God creates human beings in his own image. That when God made you, when he created you, you're created in his image. So that kind of begs another question. What, what do we mean by God's image? So what does this word mean? So, okay, I'm, I'm an image of God. I'm made in his image. So what's so special um, about me that's different to any, of, uh, any other of God's creation? And, uh, and so what's really interesting when we begin to have a look at this, I mean, people have been talking about this for, for centuries. And in fact, many people have, have kind of said, what does it mean to be made in God's image? I think what, what it means to be made in God's image is rooted in, in us being human beings. So what does it mean to be human? Or what does it mean to be made in his image? And some have suggested, oh, well, it's, maybe it's rational capacity because we have to be made in God's image. Maybe it's because we have rational capacity um, because cause people can think, um, self-conscious, self-aware, unlike the animals, right? And, and that's what it means to be made in God's image. Well, others have also suggested, well, maybe it's about morality and, and emotional capacity. Maybe that's what it means to be made in God's image. When we take a look at image in Scripture, what does this Hebrew word mean? And in Hebrew, it's the word salem, salem. And to understand this word salem, we have to look at it within its ancient Near Eastern context. And it literally means, the word salem literally means statue, statue. So when God created a man, he goes, statue, bro. Sorry, it's just, it's, <laughs> this is where my wife said, this is not even my notes. So I gave that for free. You guys can take that, bank it. Anyway. It literally means statue, statue. So, so, so here's the thing. So this image, when we look at this Near Eastern concept, this image has nothing to do with rationale, thought, or emotional capacity. Nothing to do with it. In fact, it's very concrete. A salem is a statue. That's what it is. Think about it. So back in the Near Eastern world, a statue of the king was placed at the, at the ends of each realm that, that he occupied. And, and everyone knew that this, 
statue wasn't actually the king, but it represented, it represented to everyone else that this is the place that he owns, that he has dominion here. This is his authority. And this is what it meant when they saw the statue, when they saw the, the king's image, they said, this is his dominion. He, he rules and, he, and, it, this, and it represents who he is. And similarly, we are made, human beings are made in God's image um, that God has installed us to be his representative in his creative world. It's as if God is saying, I have dominion over this planet. The, this creation is mine because my image is here. And this is the concept. It's nothing to do with rational thinking. It's got nothing to do with our emotional thinking. What separates us from the rest of creation is the very fact that we are God's image, his representatives. So it comes down to our very existence from them. If you are a human being, you're made in God's image. So when does that moment start? When does that moment start? You know, it's, and this is really important. The reason why this is really important is you don't become an image of God when you take your first breath. So now you're born. You take your first breath. Oh, now you're an image of God. No, well, that's not what it means. It, it, it's, it simply means when you first existed as a human being. When is that moment? When do you first exist as a human being? From the moment of conception, you become a human being. From the moment of conception. You cannot be anything else. right? We, we, from the moment of con conception, the, a, a woman is not carrying a donkey. A woman is not carrying anything else but a human being. A human being. So from the moment of conception, you're, you're, God has made you in the image of God. You're an image bearer. You're God's image. It's purely simple as conception. That's, that's what you're, you're. From the moment of conception, you're, the, you're made in the image of God. Here's, here's the tragedy in our society today. People are being, are being taught today that the contents of a woman's womb is not even human. And I, I do want to be sensitive about this because um, for many, many people have been deceived in, in a way to, to dehumanize what's going on in a mother's womb. And I do want to be sensitive because I know very people who are very close to me who also were, were told this and, and didn't get the right support that we need, that they needed. That, that the, the, well, you know what? It's just these lumps of cells. But if we're speaking scientifically here, to be scientific, and those who are scientific-minded, to speak scientifically and biblically, that, to say that this is, this is not a human, human being, that's, that's, that's untrue. In fact, it's a blatant lie. It's a blatant lie. Um, so even beyond this whole notion that a woman say, well, it's, it's my body. It's my body. When, well, actually, it's not. Because if we're talking science here, the mother is the host. But it's not her body that is being destroyed. It's someone else's body. It's an image. And, and I'm sorry, I, and I'm just sharing this because this is what it is. And, and I think it's really important for us to, to break this notion that, that this is some kind of uh, some, uh, clumps of cells. It's the image of God. For the moment of conception, and the Bible tells us that, that God himself knit you together. You're knitted together in, God, in, in your mother's womb. And it's from the moment of conception, you become an image. You become his representative. That's who you are. That's who you are. And, and so this whole effort to, to get people to dehumanize humanity, is, it's something, to be honest, it's something that's very sinister and evil. And I think it's supernatural. I think there's something supernatural at play that's going on here because the enemy of God has been trying to destroy the image from the beginning. And the most vulnerable place for human life, for the image of God, is in its mother's womb. Abortion is not the answer. It leaves deep 
emotional scars. Um, the people that I know of that have gone through this, um, these things, it, it's, 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 it's amazing. Well, it's actually, you know, this is just sales. It's a things happen. But it's after the fact. You know something's missing. And it's, to be honest, it's not, it's not even their fault because it's what we've been told. And what they need is love and support and, and to get around people. And if you're here this morning, we're here to say we love you. We support you. We're for you. God's for you. He loves you. Because all human, all humans are God's image. God's image is sacred. That's why do not murder is at the center of the Ten Commandments. Because every single one of us are made in God's image. In fact, every single person you'll meet walking down the street, regardless of color, regardless of religion, is made in the image of God. Every single person you'll ever meet is made in his image. So when Jesus comes onto the scene and he interprets the sixth commandment, this is what he says about this sixth commandment. He says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, back in the older generations, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And let me tell you, throughout my life, I've been very angry with my brother. And I hate my brother. He destroys all my toys. It's, it's, it's there, and I wish I still had that story. The moral idea that God is getting at here with don't murder, it's don't nurse any ill thoughts or feelings towards another human being against a person, another person who's made in the image of God. Well, congratulations. You haven't murdered anyone. Well, well done. But you think that you're better than that other guy. Uh, you think you're better than your co-worker. You talk about poorly about him behind his back. But Jesus is like, well, you know, you're kidding me, right? Yes. Yes, you haven't murdered. You're good on you. That, that, uh, okay, in one sense, it is good. But in another sense, thank you for not killing him. But you need to love him as you love yourself, is what Jesus is saying. You need to love him as you love yourself. The sixth commandment says, do not murder because, because murder is the ultimate form of anger. Murder is the ultimate form of anger. And what, what is Jesus doing here? He's hyperlinking. He's hyper, before we had Wikipedia, the Bible's been hyperlinking way before the internet came along. It's, everything's hyperlinked. So Jesus is hyperlinking again. And he's doing his, he's doing his um, I was going to say, he's, got, he's doing his spiritual kung fu here, but some people might get a thing of kung fu. I'm not going to say that. He's hyperlinking here. That's what he's doing. And he's, and, and, and he's, and he's taking us back to the first murder in the Bible. The first murder in the Bible was between Cain and Abel, sons of Adam and Eve, sibling rivalries. Right? It's kind of like me and my brother, except for, anyway. The story begins with these two brothers, and they're offering sacrifices to God. Cain offers a sacrifice from his crops, and Abel offers sacrifice from his flock. Genesis 4. Yahweh looked with favor on Abel and his offerings, but Cain and his offerings, he did not look with favor. We're told, we're not told why God, we're not told in the story why God favors one sacrifice over another. We're not told that we can come to some conclusion, but we're not actually told that. So Cain was very angry, very angry. I hate my brother. He wrecks all my toys. And his face was downcast. Then Yahweh said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast if you do what is right will you not be accepted i love this verse if you do what, what is right will you not be accepted 
See, Cain is angry that his sacrifice wasn't accepted, but God comes to Cain like a father full of compassion, and he gives him guidance. He tells Cain he has a choice between what is right and what is wrong. And isn't this the choice that we have every day? You have this choice every day. We all have this choice every day. A choice between what is right and what is wrong. See, see God didn't accept his sacrifice, but, but it says if you do what is right, you will be accepted. Meaning it wasn't about the sacrifice. It wasn't about the sacrifice after all. It was, doing, it was all about doing what is right. It's not about your sacrifice. It's just doing right. It's about being righteous. It's how we treat one another. Because do right by someone is righteousness. That's what righteousness means. It's how we're treating one another. So that, that, that means more to God than, than these sacrifices that I didn't even, God, we read the story, God didn't even ask for a sacrifice. And these brothers thought, you know what? Women kicked out of the garden. Maybe, maybe uh, we could try to get this thing right. We could do some, some, some sacrifice at the, at the door because they're at our door and, and leading into Eden. Maybe we, God will let us in here. But instead, what happened? They, 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 after this, they ended up with, with another problem. One brother's angry at the other. And it wasn't about the sacrifice, it was about doing what is right. And the verse goes on, and this is, this is what it says. But if you do what is right, but, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. See, the word for crouching here is the word used as describing an animal stalking its prey. It's, it's stalking its prey. That's this, this word you, that, that, that sin is a predator. It's a predator looking for opportunities to destroy us. That's what it is. Sin is a predator and it's hunting. It's just this beast. Like in the Garden of Eden, there was this beast called the snake deceiving humanity. And it's this picture that goes right through. And, 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 and it's a, and, and it's a um, design pattern right through scripture. Look at Daniel talking about these beasts that are coming and, and, and all these things, giving and being handed over to the mark of the beast, all these things that describe sin as this predator, looking for opportunity to destroy us. But God instructs Cain, love what he says. Uh, it says, it says, says to Cain to rule over it, which means we have the ability to rule over it. God doesn't say something that he doesn't mean. We have the ability, but it's our choice. It was Cain's choice to choose whether or not to act out in anger. Will he let his anger turn to violence? Or will he rule over his sinful impulses? Unfortunately, when we read the story, he allows his anger to turn to violence and he murders his brother. Despite God's warning of sin, of that sin is a constant predatory presence. I'm here to tell you today that my brother is still alive. In case you're thinking, is this going dark really soon? In fact, it's really interesting. My brother's a police officer. He's a sergeant. So considering that he used to beat up little girls and now he's, He's, this is what he does. <laughs> Here's the thing. It is anger that led. See, it was this anger that, that, that Cain had. And, and it led him. It's, it, this anger unchecked will lead you to hatred. And it ultimately led Cain to murder his brother. So here we go. So here we go. Going back to this hyperlink of Jesus. I and mean, Jesus, Jesus, okay, that's cool. You didn't, you didn't murder anybody. But hey, if you, if, you got, if, you, if you got anger issues towards your brother, hey, this isn't the same thing. You need to work this out. And what Jesus is doing, he's hyperlinking to the story. Jesus associates anger and hatred as the same as murder. He's going back to the story. If hatred rules your heart, you will continue to fail just like Cain. Because hatred 
will take your peace. Hatred will take your marriage, your family, your ministry. It will take all of that you have because sin is always crouching at the door and the desires to have you. Here's the thing, anger, anger is a feeling. Anger is not sin. That's why you don't see any Ten Commandments. You should not be angry because it's, it's, it's a feeling. It's a feeling. It's, it's not a sin. The issue is how can we express it in a non-destructive way? That's the issue. How do we express it in a non-destructive way? Because Jesus did get angry. He got angry, but Jesus got angry, but never, it was never, if you read Scripture, he never got angry to defend himself. It was always to defend the vulnerable. And this is how we use anger in the right way. How can we defend the vulnerable? Seeing someone being mistreated should cause something inside of you to, to step out and do something. And, and, and this is what we call righteous anger. But there's another anger. It's all about protecting me and about what, about keeping my own and my own pride. And, and this is when, when we let this perpetuate in our life or lead down this road of anger, that there's a thin line between anger, uh, anger of, of violence of feelings and violence of action. So what does this mean for us? It means when anger desires to have you, you have the ability to rule over it. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. This, I, I, this has got to be one of the most quoted verses I, I say all the time. To, to, to confess our sins, it's, it's when we begin to speak about it. When, and so when we begin to, ad, I need to admit my anger. When I've got some destructive anger going on in my life, I need to admit it. I need to admit it. I need to admit it to myself. I need to admit it to my wife to, or to my spouse or to, to a loved one. I need to admit I need to admit it to God. Because we make things worse when we pretend it's not a problem. We make things worse. It's not I've got this controlled when you don't have it controlled. Because sin is crouching at the door and it desires to have you. In order to stop defeating ourselves, we must stop deceiving ourselves. So begin to admit it. Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. Deal with, with anger immediately. Deal with it immediately. Don't, don't hold on to it. Don't, let it. don't let it turn into a grudge. The Bible says don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Anger fermented in the heart easily turns to hate. The sixth commandment says do not murder. Murder is the ultimate form of anger. You have the power to rule over it. We must guard our anger and keep it under control. Don't let anger take over. You have the power to rule over it. Don't let it get to the point where we take someone's life. So we need to admit it. Admit it to someone. Admit it before God. Own up to it. We need to deal with it immediately. And you have, and you have the power to rule over it. Don't be deceived. Oh, this is just who I am. You need to tell yourself the truth. Oh, this is the way that it's because this happened to me in my life growing up. My dad will do this to me and I'm just acting up what is happening. You, you need to tell yourself the truth because you can rule over that. Change begins with, with me. And, and be, begin to find the help that we need. And that's what I talk about. Admit it to someone. Find the right help. Be, get, get, be part of the men's group. Be part of the kidney group. Find a counselor. We've got some amazing counselors here. I always say, you know, if you don't counsel because we got terrible advice, go, go to a counselor. Deal with your anger immediately. Don't let it, oh, I've got this. And you have the power to rule over it. Hatred desires to have you. Love empowers you to overcome. Hatred desires to have you. Love empowers you to overcome. 
It, it, and this, where does this love come from? It comes from God, but it comes from those who love you, who are for you. Those people that you're angry at and you act out on, they love you and they, and they want you and they're there and they're in your corner. But, they, but you need to admit it. You need to deal with it immediately and you have the power to rule over it. Hatred desires to have you. Love empowers you to overcome. Have you committed murder? Have you committed murder in your heart? Have you committed murder of your words? Do you need to get a handle on your anger? Have you aborted a baby? This is why we need to encounter Jesus. Jesus allowed himself to be murdered on a cross so that we could be given life to be transformed from, from those who hate and despise, from those who bear grudges and bitterness, those who take life and so that we can become those who are life givers and peacemakers. That's why Christianity is such good news. You know the Ten Commandments? You know who God gave the Ten Commandments to? He gave it to a murderer. He gave it to Moses. Moses committed murder. King David committed murder. And a man by the name of Saul would go on to change his name to Paul and write most of the New Testament. He committed murder. But God took these three murders and murderers and they wrote most of the book that we have today, the Bible, because these three people repented before God and they sought after him. And God took them and used them. See, I find that so inspiring and encouraging because if it's true for Moses, if it's true for David, and if it's true for Paul, then it's true for me. And it's true for you. Regardless of what you've done, God's grace is sufficient. And Pastor PJ brought that verse, and that's, that's what I was ending on. God's grace is sufficient. And he's not done with you yet, regardless of what you've done. Hatred desires to have you, but love empowers you to overcome. Come on, let us pray.